about some of the lies the enemy's trying to tell us and how we can overcome. Amen. Amen. I decided to move a little closer to the light since we got some more folks on this side tonight. Isn't the Lord good? Try not to breathe too hard when I look down. Sounds like there's a rumbling out there, of thunder. <laughs> but it is good. We've been talking about the lies of the enemy. And how many know he always, he is the liar. He's a cheat. He's a thief. He's a deceiver. And he's an accuser. So he will try to accuse you of things you didn't do. And he'll try to tell you things like, well, you, you can't be forgiven. Or you're not good enough. How many folks ever heard that when you are growing up? You didn't think you were good enough. I always thought I was too skinny. I was skinny as a rail. I could turn sideways and disappear. Is what Coach Daniels told me in high school. He was my ninth and 10th grade basketball coach. And then he called me Bones. And then everybody started calling me Bones because I was so skinny. He would tell people, he said, I got a special play. Bones is going to lay down on the strike and disappear. Then when he jumps up, throw him the ball so he can score. You know, that's a real good self-esteem builder, you know, <laughs> back then. But I kind of took it in, and I had sharp elbows when I played basketball. And uh, I remember Mike James, he's gone on to be with the Lord. He was from Twin Rivers. And he used to say, Bones, you always had such sharp elbows. I said, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything by that. And then he was one of the main helpers here in the church for a long time, helping us get this building together and everything. But, you know, God is doing something. He is. Now, this is part four, I believe. Five? Okay. This is the fourth lie then I'm sharing. Anyway, the, the lie that I'm going to share with you tonight that Satan uses, this one tonight is let me build my fortress in your mind. You know, he, he thinks he can help your mind better than you can or that God can. But how many knows if he gets into your mind, he gets into every part of your life. And so that's not a good thing. You know, when I really became super committed to the Lord, how many, how many know you're saved? Say amen. amen. All right, we know that because Jesus died on the cross and he forgave us for our sins. But you, you go kind of like over these little humps. The first one, you get baptized and you feel good because you made a, public profession of faith and then you get filled with the Holy Spirit what we think is filled with the Holy Spirit but it's never ending you got to have it pouring out constantly or it gets stagnant inside but there comes a point of time I saw these guys come down the altar and that's good because in in their mind they're thinking boy I need to make that next step and that's a good thing. 
But I was in New Orleans, and I was in a, a fired-up church, and, and I was 23 years old and out of college and now teaching school, coaching basketball and baseball and, and in a live church. And, and they started getting me to speak and share messages at different youth groups. And before long, I was preaching in youth camps and churches, and I had two Christian rock groups that I was managing at the time. And I'd do concerts, and then I'd get up and preach a little bit at the end. And then people get saved. But I would go around, I was on fire. You know what? When you get on fire for the Lord, then you don't act like you used to act. And I mean, it was like the veil was taken away. And I was free. I was free to be myself in the Lord. And so... There's a lot of things I did. I threw away, I had a fantastic collection of rock and roll music. Back then they were called vinyls. They were records. And if you threw it, you could decapitate somebody if you caught them off guard. You know, because they were flat and about that round, like a Frisbee, you threw them things, they're dangerous. But anyway, I, I had a really nice stereo. My stereo was worth more than my car was. I don't know if anybody relates to that. I had an old car, and it, it ran good, uh, but it was an old car, and my stereo was nice. I could crank that baby up, and, and the whole neighborhood could hear. But I, I decided, man, if I'm going to serve the Lord, I can't be serving two masters. Now, I'm not saying if you turn on the radio and a little music, it's going to send you to hell or anything, but I just decided I don't need to listen to this music anymore because it was an idol to me. And uh, so I got rid of them. I, if they wouldn't break, I bent them so they'd be warped and nobody else could ever play them. Somebody said, well, you should have sold them. I said, yeah, but I'd just be contributing to somebody else's mindset because, you know, what that music would say was to do things that weren't right. And so I had to get rid of all that. And... Uh, you know, once in a while, I'll hear something out in the store or something, maybe an old song, and it triggers a memory, but it's not stuck in me anymore. And so, you know, I can get, just let it float on by. But I got rid of that stuff because I knew it contaminated me. And that's what you have to do if you're really going to be more than an overcomer and you're going to make a difference then you have to be committed. And so, you know, the devil wants to make you believe that he can have a little fortress here and you, God can have this part over here and you got this part here and you can kind of cohabitate. But God doesn't like to share a house with the devil. And so he, he just is not allowed to stay. And... Uh, I want you to know the lies of the enemy are not for you. But this lie, let me build my fortress in your mind, is a lie. Don't let the devil come in and plant any thoughts in your mind. You know, and it could be anything. Because, you know, we're spirit and we're flesh. And the Bible says that the spirit and the flesh war against each other. Now, we're three parts. We're spirit, soul, and body. So, you know, uh, the spirit man, you can't see it. Your soul, you can't see. 
I mean, you know you got a mind, but you can't see it. It's your brain that's in between your ears and inside your skull that is your brain. And the brain, as long as your heart is pumping blood, it's going to get nourishment and oxygen, and it's going to operate. It's made to operate a certain way. And, of course, Adam named all the creatures and all the plants and all the animals. But you know what? When he and Eve were in the garden, they were 100% well. Now psychologists will tell you that if you used 8 to 10% of your brain, you'd be a genius. You know, most people don't use more than 4 to 6% of your brain capacity. And... It's kind of like we've been dumbed down by the devil. He doesn't want you to use your capacity. He doesn't want you to have a vision for God. But God, when he moves things, I mean, it's tremendous. I mean, he said if you have faith in God, you can speak to a mountain and it can be cast into the sea. And uh, I tell you what, the more you can walk with God, in tune with God, and in faith in God, you can do things that are beyond your thinking. I was in Texarkana, Texas. I, I don't remember if last Wednesday I shared this with you guys, but my wife and I went there and visited again, and then we went down to New Orleans to see her mom who had her 99th birthday. But I went to Texas several months ago, and I met with a young man and his wife and this other couple, they wanted to start a church. And so they started it in this couple's house. And so sometimes they'd have six or ten. They only had four last time I was there. But I told him, when I met with him before, I said, if you'll start going to coffee places, sitting down, drink a cup of coffee, and strike up conversation with people. I just really felt like that was a key. I said, if you'll do that, God's going to do something. And so, lo and behold, when we went this time, I had more prophetic insights by the Holy Spirit that I told them. And once again, I told him, you've got to make sure you go drink coffee with people. You've got to get to know people. And so he ends up calling me and telling me, hey, after you were here, I was drinking coffee over at this coffee shop and this man walks over, he's an older man, and he walks over with a younger man, and he said, are you a pastor? And he said, yes. He had been a youth pastor for many years, and yet now they were trying to pastor. I know what it's like to try to start a new church, and almost nobody comes. That happened to me in New Orleans. I was ready to give up and go back into school teaching. But, uh, you know, you have to let God... and uh, one brother reminded me the last time that they were here uh, that I shared about the old washing machine on the back porch and how it squeezed everything out of you, out of the soap, and then you put it back through to the rinse, and you put it back through, and then as stiff as a board, and you went and hung up a shirt, and it looked like this, you know, or a pair of pants, and it was flat, and you'd hang it up on the clothesline. That's how it was when I was a kid. We didn't have a dryer or a regular washing machine when I was like up to I was about 12 years old or so, 13. And then you had to find a place to put one because those little shotgun houses that we lived in at the time, 
They didn't accommodate it very well. But anyhow, I told him, I said, if you'll drink coffee with some people, things will happen. And so this older man said, well, I want to know more about you. He said, the Holy Spirit's really put it on my heart to talk to you. And they shared, and then they'd share again another day. And finally this man came to him and says, well, you didn't know it, but I have two churches. I have one in Texarkana that's got 30 to 40 people and a building and land, 12 acres. And he said, I got one in this other town. And he said, I'm getting too old to preach here on Sunday morning, then drive an hour and preach at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the other one. He said, I really feel like God wants me to give you my church in Texarkana and give you the 30 to 40 people that I have. I said, keep drinking coffee, son. <laughs> keep drinking coffee. You see, the enemy wants to get in your mind and maybe tell you, you were a youth pastor. You'll never make a good pastor, senior pastor. You're too crazy. You're too wild. But you know what? He's got the right stuff on the inside. And God will do it. Don't ever give up on a dream that God's put in your heart. And see, that's why I felt like I got to go see this guy before we go see her mother. And it was right on time because you never know. You feel alone or you feel like maybe God forgot you or something. And the devil will come and try to get and rent a room in your house. He'll try to get in. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. It says, For though we walk in the flesh. Now let's talk about that for one second. The flesh is not your spirit, but the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. The flesh, it has two components. It has the soul and it has the body. You know what happens when I get up in the morning? I'll tell you what happened this morning. My wife's in the nursery, so I can tell you. I went into the kitchen, and I got a cup of coffee, and I noticed she had made some cinnamon rolls for our, my brother and sister-in-law and Hank and Millie Bowles that came to our house because my daughter got married last Saturday. And so there was one sitting in that thing all by itself. Well, I'm trying to get a handle on not allowing diabetes to take over my life. But there was that cinnamon roll, Sister Tara, and my spirit man wasn't quite awake yet. But I tell you what, your flesh wakes up with you as soon as you get up to go tinkle. And you come back, and I went to get my coffee, and then I saw that cinnamon roll sitting there, my body didn't say, you don't need that sugar because it's bad for you. No, Stephen, my body said, yum, yum, yum. You should eat that cinnamon roll because it will taste good. It just might make your tongue slap your tonsils. Yeah. So I went ahead and got that cinnamon roll out. Nobody was there. Nobody was left. You know, I'm there by myself and the dogs. 
And the dogs don't care. You know, dogs will never give you good advice. And I put that cinnamon roll on that that paper plate, put it in the microwave, hit it on for about 10 seconds. I got it out, and that sugar was glistening on top. And I put my finger on it like the Pillsbury Doughboy, and man, it passed the finger test, you know, because it went in and poked back out. And so I got my fork, my coffee, and I went in there and sat down in my favorite chair, and my body said, yummy, as I put it in my mouth. My soul, Tara, my soul didn't even want to think about it. It's too early. The soul is supposed to be, now if you go by psychology, Freud used to say the id was the pleasure principle. He was probably an atheist, so I don't care what he said, but he had a little bit of common sense once in a while. But the id, I-D, I don't know why he named it that. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. But the id was a pleasure principle. That's what the body wants. The body wants to eat. The body wants to drink. Whether it's water, tea, or alcohol, or whatever, the body craves what it wants. It doesn't have a conscience. The body just lets go. So the second component according to Freud, was the ego. And the ego was the policeman of your personhood. And the superego was your conscience. Well, in the Bible we called it the spirit, soul, and body. You know, if Freud just read the Bible, he had already known all about it. But the body doesn't care. It just wants what it wants. If it you go eat pizza, it won't tell you to stop eating after three pieces, you know. It'll just let you eat all you want to until it feels full. But the soul is trying to determine what is right. You know, that's why, what do we say? Our soul, how many souls got saved last night? See, they're talking about because the person decides, yeah, I need to be saved. I need to accept Jesus. I need him to become my captain of my salvation and I need to police the body and I need to listen to the spirit because he's the conscience, the superego. And so the spirit wars against the flesh but the flesh has the soul and the body. And so we're wrestling with our thoughts because we'll say, man, that sugar's trying to contaminate me but the body says, yeah, but it tastes so good. And see, the devil, he knows if you start listening to what's not your spirit, then you're not going to be listening to the Holy Spirit. You're going to listen to the flesh. And the flesh is going to try to get, let you get the devil to move in. And he'll try to get you down the wrong direction. But that's why we say we don't walk in the flesh. In other words, if you're going to be an overcomer, you can't walk by the flesh. But he said, we do not war according to the flesh. You can't win that war. If it's booze, drugs, sex, uh, just bad habits, or overeating, or whatever, you cannot win that war with the flesh. The only way you can do it is if the Holy Spirit moved into your spirit 
and his voice becomes a little bit louder. And so for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not physical. But mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're mighty in God to pull down those fortresses of the enemy. The enemy wants to take over, but the only way you can stop him is to suppress the flesh enough to where the spirit man becomes a little bit louder, a little bit stronger. Here's a statement for you. It's out of my notes. It'll be up there probably. Satan, the accuser, desires to possess strongholds in a person's mind to, to lock out the voice of God as he wants to cause us to doubt the word of God and make us have a lack of faith and lie to us about our destiny. You see, it starts out with a little thought. You plant a seed, and then it grows into something. You know, I heard I had Miles Monroe come preach for me in 1993. And he was a speaker out of the Bahamas, well-known Christian speaker. He wrote many books. But he asked me to get him some orange seeds to the we were renting the high school auditorium because our church was destroyed by the hurricane Hurricane Andrew and so I got him and he held up those seeds and he said what do I have in my hand and he held up the seed and most people anybody close could say well it looks like an orange seed alright so then if I held up that seed what would you say what is this a seed? Everybody's looking. I think this is a trick question. I don't want to answer it. <laughs> Most people would say a seed. Why? Because in the flesh, that's what you can see. But he said, no, that's not a seed. It's a seed that's planted in the ground. And then over time, as it's nourished by the water and the sunlight, then we raise up a tree. That seed becomes a tree. Then he said, okay, what do I have standing here now? What would you say? A tree. But then he said, no, it's not a tree. It's a tree with what on it? Oranges. Fruit. Okay? That's a bunch of oranges on an orange tree. Okay? What? What is it then? Anybody know? It's a bunch of fruit, but what's in the fruit? Seeds. My God Almighty, I can't hardly believe it. Then you get all those seeds out of those oranges, and then you go on a big piece of land, and you plant that seed about every so often, and it starts growing up what? Trees. But is it just trees? It's a whole orange grove. And that orange grove, maybe you've got a hundred trees that produce, I don't know how many fruits on a tree. Brother Sherman, you got any idea on an orange tree? It must have at least 
let's say, a hundred oranges on it, or more, maybe five hundred. So you get five hundred oranges with about six or eight seeds in it, and then you, and you got it on all these acres, and before long you got a grove, but then you got all these seeds, and then you got to get more land, then you have more trees, you have more groves, and guess what? You have a destiny. It's not just the seed that was in somebody's hand. But the devil wants to move in, and he wants to accuse you. He desires to possess strongholds in your mind and cause you to doubt the word and not reach your destiny. But God wants everybody to reach a destiny of some kind. You know, uh, to be a professional basketball player, you didn't just go out there and sign a contract. You know, they practiced and played and and all this, and some of them had to grow taller and so on. They had to learn to dribble a ball and they had to learn to shoot the ball through the hoop. You just don't go out there because you're good looking or something and become a great athlete. It takes a lot of practice. We see your destiny takes a lot of practicing to get there, and so don't. Open your mind to the things of the enemy that will try to contaminate you and keep you from coming into the fullness of what he has for you. There, I'll never reach the fullness of this message tonight either. <laughs> yeah, the statement number two is this. The mind in the Greek is nephesh in Hebrew for soul, life, and appetites, or actually that was Hebrew in the Old Testament, and the word for mind in the Greek or the New Testament is phronio in Greek. To set one's thoughts on a thing is to try to steal our belief system. The devil will try to steal your belief system by getting you to overthink on certain thoughts. Now, when my wife was young she was hungry to know god she was raised catholic and her and her girlfriend got talked to by these college guys and they were only like 19 years old probably or so and they invited them to come to a meeting it was called the way international now how many of y'all know a lot of people use the name of jesus and God, and church to try to get somebody into their realm. Well, the way international is somewhat of what we would call a cult. A cult is something that rises up that tries to put a fortress in your mind and tries to control your life by its set of rules. Now, we could say there are other groups, too. I won't bring them up right now, but there are. And if I brought them up, I know I would offend somebody out there in this world somewhere. But this Way International got them to come to these meetings and got them confused. And then they tried to teach them, and they weren't even calling themselves Pentecostal or Charismatic. But they said, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the ones who believe in that, in Pentecostal and Charismatic, believe that you speak in tongues. 
Now on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. They called it cloven tongues of fire came upon them, rushing mighty wind. The power of God swept through that upper room. There's 120 of them up there. And all of them were filled. And people heard them speaking in other languages with a Galilean accent. Now, they were speaking different languages that they didn't know. That'd be like me speaking in Spanish and Stephen speaking Japanese and Sherman speaking Chinese and somebody else is speaking German, somebody else. They were speaking all kinds of different languages. And I'm getting off track and there's a big rabbit running down the road and I'm chasing it. I got to be careful, get back on target here. But you see the, the thing is, uh, Paul wrote, he said, though we speak in tongues of angels or of men and we have not love, we're just a noise. You see, it's not just about trying to prove to somebody you have the Holy Spirit by speaking another language. I think it's great if you do. But the way international, they get you in there and they might say, say, tie, tie, tie. Oh, 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 ta, ta, yeah. They'd try to teach you to speak in tongues. Well, you know what? When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you don't need somebody to teach you how to speak in tongues. Now, if you're just trying to learn Spanish, you need help, because I do. I did learn a few phrases, though, when I first met my wife. One of them was, Quiero salir conmigo esta noche. That meant, would you go out with me tonight? And the other one was, Te casa dias conmigo. And that meant, would you marry me? And so I got married. Now we've been married 38 and a half years. That's wonderful, isn't it? Good thing she was good looking. Let me tell you that. Because I had some good looking kids now out of the deal. But, you know, the way international, they tried to bring them in and not let them out to go visit their families and all this stuff, is a cult. There are a lot of groups that are like cults. But when God fills you, He fills you from the inside out. And you can't help yourself. And when I was filled completely, I couldn't help myself. I had to tell everybody that I came into contact with that God was something spectacular. That Jesus Christ, what a Lord and Savior. You know, I'd go everywhere. We would go outside the Superdome when there was a KISS concert, and I had about 20 young adults with me, and we were talking to people that were coming out of the concert. We were just talking to them. We weren't preaching at them or well, didn't have any signs, like picket signs or anything. And this one guy come along, and he started shouting, you're going to go to hell. I said, hey, come over here. And I put my arm around his shoulder. I said, what's your name? He said, Mike. I said, well, Mike, you need to turn, tone it down. Nobody's going to like you if you're screaming at them that they're going to hell. I said, you don't attract a bear with vinegar. You attract a bear with honey. I said, talk to them and be nice to them. And then share. We had these little chick tracks, too, the ones you open, and it's like a comic book, and we could hand them out. And we would do that. 
at the end, you know, of talking to them. So, hey, I'm Kevin. And I'm just out here talking to people about the fact that Jesus Christ is real in my life and that he changed me. And if you're interested, here, here's this little comic book. You can read about it. And then uh, you can come to our church or you can call me. Or what. Of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. Yeah. So anyhow, you can maybe just call my name. Maybe I'll hear you out there somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> but they try to steal your thoughts by getting you off track to control your thoughts. Everybody has a right to choose who they're going to serve. And hopefully it's going to be Jesus because I'd like to see everybody in heaven that would be willing to choose. Let's look at another statement before I get chasing another rabbit. Maybe I'll chase a squirrel this time. Number three, the fortresses in the Greek is otutoma describes a prison or a wall that is impregnable that Satan uses to make a throne for him to sit over our thinking. So you see, some people will get slammed. And they, they'll be slammed by something. Like somebody that heard him tell them, you're going to hell, you're a sinner. <coughs> well, that could have been true. But that wasn't going to make them love Jesus by telling them they're going to hell. It's all right to talk about there's a heaven and a hell. But to scream in somebody's face like you're angry at them, isn't going to make them want to get saved. It's going to make them want to punch you in the nose. And so I pulled him aside and talked to him, and he ended up coming over to the church where I was, and I nurtured him and mentored him some. And he became a great man of God, and he was on the staff of Teen Challenge down in New Orleans. And he had a position. Why was he that way? Because he was so bad if I can put it that way he was a drug dealer and his before Jesus times he was a drug user and he he was witnessed to by somebody who gave him a, a track and he wadded up put it in his pocket and he thought my life is terrible I am miserable he told me a story that's why he was so violent. He wanted people not to go to hell, and he would scream at them. I told him that's not the way. But you see, before he got saved, he was thinking, my life's not worth living because the devil had rented a room in his mind and was trying to mess up his thoughts. And he was overweight. He wasn't the most handsome guy in the world, if I can put it nicely. He couldn't keep a girlfriend. <coughs> so it ended up, he went home one night, and he had seen these guys roll a body out of the back of a van right in front of him and shot him over a drug deal in the streets of the French Quarter. I lived there five years. I was down the quarter quite often talking to people about the Lord. 
I've talked to all kinds of people. And so Mike saw that, and he was a drug dealer, and so he thought they would put him in there with a lot of them, and he was scared. So he went home, he pulled out a 9 millimeter, set it on the table next to his bed, and he thought, man, if I don't feel different in the morning, I'm just going to end it. So when he woke up in the morning, he sat on the side of his bed, and he got out the gun. He said, I feel terrible. I don't think I'm valuable. I don't think anybody cares about me. And he put the gun right here in his mouth. And about that time, he saw the top of his mom's head walk by outside his window, his bedroom window. And he took that gun down. <coughs> because he didn't want her to just hear it, come find him that way. He said he saw that wadded up chick track laying on top of his nightstand, and he picked it up, unwadded it, and started reading it. You know, they all have little different stories. And so he got to the end where it said, if you believe this, then you can confess your sins and invite Jesus Christ into your life. So he began to cry. I'm talking a big old bruiser, drug dealer. You know, he'd been real deep in it. And he cried, and he cried out to God and said, God, I need you. Please forgive me for what I've done and who I've been. And then somebody introduced him to Teen Challenge, and he went through Teen Challenge. And then he came out of the Teen Challenge, and he became a leader in Teen Challenge. And so I ended up being becoming his friend after that KISS concert occasion where we met. And I started getting him to hang around with us. And, and he became more valuable. You see, when we surround each other with thoughts that are good and not bad, not evil, then we become more valuable. And we begin to get a picture, maybe, of what our lives can be. You know, some people can be business people. I had a friend call me yesterday that I hadn't talked to since a year after our wedding. It's been 37 years. He found my number from another friend, <coughs> and he called me. He lives in Memphis. He said, I got your number from Rob. Robin, my buddy, many, many years. And he said, I just want to talk to you. And we talked, and his dad used to be a bigwig in the Assemblies of God up in South Dakota. And he ended up graduating from the same college I went to. And we were roommates and played softball teams together and stuff. And he ended up down there marrying a nice girl, going to church regular. And then he told me about some of the struggles. They have a daughter that had multiple sclerosis and a lot of things like that. And I encouraged him. And anyway, he told me how he wasn't a preacher. I said, yeah, it's ironic. I turned out to be one, isn't it? He said, you know what? I always knew you had something like that in you. And sure enough, and he told me, he said, 
you know God has blessed me. This guy now is a big shot corporate guy, a corporation that owns Atlas Van Lines and several other companies. He's probably a multimillionaire. I didn't say, well, you know what? We go to the mission field to watch. <laughs> no, I didn't tell him anything like that. But I said, I'll be praying for you and your family, your daughter. And it's so cool to reconnect. But you see, the enemy tries to attack us. He could have attacked him and said, God doesn't love you or your daughter wouldn't have multiple sclerosis. But you know what? God still could heal her. But he's doing something right now working in their lives in spite of it. Statement four, he'll dig up your past to shame you or to cause hopelessness and despair. Despair is worse than depression. When you're in despair, you don't have any other answers. You don't know what to do with yourself. So you're in despair. But that's what he says, becoming a stronghold, which means achiroma in the Greek, means for keeping others out. See, what does the devil do? How does he win a victory? He divides and he conquers. How does he get in a family? He can get in there through problems and then divide the family. Maybe a father against a daughter or a son against a mother or a brother against a brother or whatever or husband and wife against one another. All kinds of things can happen that cause us to be in despair and it keeps other people out who care about us. And so you see this stuff comes up and we feel ashamed because of what we used to do. But you know what? If it's in your past, it's not who you are. It's just what you did. And Jesus forgives us so that we can become something better than the hopelessness we had when we didn't have Jesus Christ in our heart and lives. Man, I tell you what. I had another friend contact me. His dog died. You may not think that's significant, but he had that dog for a long time, and he loved that dog. He's his best friend. When he died, it this guy that was full of pride and self-efficiency cried out to God because it hurt his heart so bad, and God touched him and filled him with the Spirit. And you know who he was? He was an Armenian friend of mine that I've known since I was 21 years old. And I just heard from him about how he is excited about going to Easter Sunday and all this. This guy's 69 now. I'm talking about 42 years ago. We were good friends. We ran out on spring break in his Corvette. I had long hair back then. They say, who are you? You one of the Bee Gees? I say, no. I can't even fake that accent. Because I was skinny and long hair. They thought I was a rock and roll singer. But this guy was an Armenian. He had a long nose, big, strong. And he worked his way. He was a railroad engineer, and he worked his way all the way up 
You know what he retired as? He was the head of the union of the railroad in the northern part of the country. You're talking about somebody controls a lot of stuff and money. But just because his dog died, he opened up his mind and his heart to invite Jesus to be Lord. And now he's got a great testimony. <coughs> but that's what God does. Statement number five. Satan uses an Amorite spirit. Now, there were different groups of people in the Old Testament when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. They had all these kings to face, and there was different ones like the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the ter Termites. No, it wasn't even Termites, but they had all these ites on the end of the words. But he uses an Amorite spirit. You know what an Amorite spirit is most likened to today? The mafia spirit. It's how the devil becomes organized in a high place like publicity on a mountaintop or summit or makes something prominent. There are different ones that are famous today. If I said their names... You'd say, how do you know that? Well, because I saw a few interviews where they said, well, I just told the devil I'd sell my soul if he made me famous. There's some rock and roll singers. There's people like that. Hey, I don't know if what y'all know, but hey, I lived in New Orleans and I lived in Miami. I lived in some dark places and the devil's real. And I'm going to tell you what, there's people high up, even in government, that worship the devil. And many people sold their souls to the devil. And it's going to come back on them one day. It'll be a horrible end. Because the devil doesn't love anybody. But what he does is try to use something, publicize and, and promote it and make them prominent. He might help them sell, help them sell more records or help them sell something or be in position of power and money and use all kinds of stuff to get there. But that's one of the ways the devil lies to us. Statement number six. The enemy wants to fight your forward movement by accusations and intimidation like the Jebusites when they shouted at David and told him, the lame and the blind are going to defeat you. They tried to tell him he was weak. But God had made him strong. You're talking about a little shepherd boy that took five stones and killed Goliath and chopped his head off. That ain't no wimp. He was just maybe a 16, 17-year-old kid. But he told him they'd defeat him. They don't want you to tear down the idols and evil altars that control your life. We could even call it, if we put a name on it, the python spirit that wants to prophesy falsely to control your life. Now, I believe in prophetic words. But some people could give people a, a prophetic word, and it's not true. 
that's false. There was a, a group. I got five or six families that came to my church in Florida because there was a guy that came and said, all right, and he was pretty well known in certain circles, said, whoever's going to give $1,000 tonight, come on up here, and I'm going to prophesy over you first. So, man, people ran up there with their checks, and then after that he said, okay, everybody's going to write a $500 check tonight. Come on up here, and then I'm going to prophesy to you. And then he said, well, now if you got a hundred dollars, I'll prophesy over you. And these people that left came to our church and told me that story. I said, "Well, I've never prophesied over anybody for money. It's like being a psychic, calling the psychic hotline, one nine hundred something something something, you know, and you get charged money as long as they keep you on the line." That's evil. But the devil will try to mingle and mix with some kind of Christian belief system to try to get people off the track. And they'll start saying, well, hey, man, they said I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, what are you going to do about it? you going to go get a job? <laughs> You're going to save a little bit of money and maybe then you'll invest in something one day? Well, look, you're not going to necessarily get to be a millionaire. And I'll guarantee you this, the lottery won't make about 99.9% .9 of the people that ever play it won't make them rich. So you see, the devil just wants to get the door open a little bit so he can get his foot in there and he can slide in. See, he doesn't have to act like the big cheese. He'll just get you thinking the wrong way. And if he can get you thinking the wrong way, then you'll act the wrong way, you'll talk the wrong way, and you'll end up spiraling down into an abyss of trouble. You know what? That's a good stopping off place because I got so much more. And if y'all, anybody can come back next week, I'll, I'll talk about it some more next week. How about that? But I just hope that you got something out of this that the devil, he does not want you to see what is in the seed. See, if all you did was eat your seeds, you might put off your hunger a little bit, but you'd never grow anything if you never put it in the ground. So get a vision. Get a thought in your mind. What is it that you like to do? Don't have a dream that you're going to be a superstar singer when you can't carry a tune. Man, choose something else. You might want to build houses, but if you never learned any carpentry, that's probably not even going to be it. Choose something that zings you on the inside, and you say, I can put my hope and faith in Jesus Christ, and I will start going forward step by step, and I'll let him show me what I can do to get there. And you know what God will do? He'll put somebody along your way. Sheila's, like me, she could be retiring soon.
but she's going to go back to school and get a master's degree, aren't you? And then she's going to help counsel people because if you go forward, he's going to help you live longer. If you give up, you're giving it up. See, And then a lot of people die because they quit. They don't do anything. But if you'll choose something, and you start doing something about it, you know, you don't start a farm with a thousand acres. Maybe you get an acre and do a little garden where you can sell tomatoes and green peppers and cucumbers. I, I didn't eat tonight, so that's why it sounds pretty good to me. But you could sell those at a stand down there by the Coliseum. Maybe you make some money. Then you go buy more seed. And then you find a little bigger spot to plant some more seed. And then God does something extra special. The lie of the enemy is this. It's too far away. You'll never get there. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you one more two-minute story? Because I'm old. So I have a lot of stories. The speaker at my college commencement was a guy. It wasn't nothing spectacular at that when he was in school. He went to my college and he dropped out during his sophomore year. His name was Russ Umpenauer. That's a name there. Anyway, he went and started working at an Arby's. And he became the dishwasher. And then he worked his way up to making the sandwiches. And then before you know it, he was a night manager. And then he worked his way up to being a manager over in Arby's. And he put this picture, I think it was, what does Magnum drive on TV? What? That red sports car, Ferrari. He put a picture of a Ferrari up in his little office. And he put a picture of this big house with stone and bricks all over it. And he hung that in his office. And so he said, one day I'm going to own those. And he kept working. And before you know it, he became the general manager of that Arby's. And then he bought, they let him buy an Arby's. And when he spoke at my commencement, he owned 76 Arby's restaurants. And he said, that car is in my garage, and it's in the big house with bricks and rocks on it. Now, money's not everything, but I'm telling you, you've got to have a dream, and you've got to believe. Now, this guy's a Christian. He didn't do it so he could run around and live the high life. He, he worked hard. He got somewhere. And he made something of his life. And so it just depends on what your calling is, what your gifting is. But get a picture in your mind, what can I do, what can I be? And then you start going towards it. If it's building houses, go buy a hammer. 
of Saul. Get some stuff. And then get with somebody that builds them. And you learn to do it. And before long, you'll be with it. I could tell you 15, 20 stories just like the one I told you of different people that I've known. How they worked hard, they believed, they trusted God, they gave the offerings they were supposed to give, they did what they were supposed to do, and God helped them rise up to the top. Amen? All right, I'm going to ask one question. How many of you are challenged tonight and you're going to try to seek God for a dream? You need a vision for your life. Come on, put your hand up. Okay? Be honest. You want to do anything? You want to be anything? Believe. Okay, stand up to your feet. All right? Let's make a declaration right now. Devil, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome in my life. I will not be ruled by you or my flesh. My spirit man will follow the Holy Ghost and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'm going to live for Him. So I'm telling you, take a hike. Get out of here. I'm going to serve God. Amen. All right. Give somebody a high five around you or something. Yes. All right. God bless you. Thank you for coming. If you all come back next week, I'll finish it. This one.